Hello. Hi. Welcome. Welcome back. To the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I recently decided to take the plunge and do my level one. So certified <laughs> level four CrossFit coach, David Riley, yep. decided to take the level one. Yep. It was quite the experience. I first did it 15 years ago. 2008. Yeah. And it had been long enough that I was curious to see if it had changed or how it had changed or evolved or anything. And then I also wanted to see you in action. So when we hosted one, I decided I would jump in, get some continuing education credits and Mm -hmm. just see what's going on. Yeah. So I had been encouraging or pumping up the value of retaking the level one to you, I think. And you have to listen to me talk about it and prep for it and all that kind of stuff all the time anyway. So it's nice for you to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But let's take a step back and talk about what the level one is for people that aren't super deeply nerded out into the CrossFit world. So for anybody to coach at a CrossFit affiliate or apply to open their own CrossFit affiliate, you have to have at least a CrossFit level one certificate. It's a two-day course. They happen all over the world. There's a team of what we call red shirts that teach the level one courses. The curriculum is super well-defined it does change and get updated over time and new things get incorporated or taken away or added. The course used to be three days. No, actually, I think the original ones were like five. Was it really? <laughs> I think the first couple versions mm. were really long and then three and then it got settled into two days. So the same material is delivered around the world. Yeah. Different languages, different places, some on in affiliates, some like military bases, all kinds of things, but it's the same basic material. There's... I think a little under 200 red shirts all around the world. There's nine of us in Canada that mm-hmm. take care of delivering most of the level one seminars in Canada. So the level one course is an introduction to the CrossFit methodology, the, all the reasons and rationales and definitions behind why we train the way we do. Yeah, It's an introduction to the, there's nine foundational movements in CrossFit, three squats, three overhead lifts, and three lifting from the floor, Yeah, pulling deadlift lifts. It's the first step. And then from there, there's the level two mm-hmm. course, which is a coaching course. Yeah. So at the level one, the staff, the red shirts, we teach the movements. At the level two, the participants teach the movements to each other. And they get feedback on their coaching and their ability to do that. Then the level three is a written exam. Mm-hmm. It's like a four-hour exam. You go to a testing center. So that's like that's an actual certification when you get to the level three, yeah. not a certificate. And then the level four now is a in-person evaluation of your ability to run a whole class. Yeah. And over two days, they evaluate you. So it's like your practical exam. Yeah, it's like a practicum. Exactly. So you'd have like your written licensing exam, and then you'd have your practicum to evaluate your actual real world skills. So the new level four evaluation has just been rolled out this year. So they're just getting that going for people. Right. So anyway, level one. Yeah. That's what I do. (laughs) I work for CrossFit, travel, kind of every other weekend to different places all over Canada, teach the level one certificate courses. Yeah. So I remember way back when we did our original level one 15 years ago, we were doing it like we had read about CrossFit and we were kind of mm-hmm. following the main page, CrossFit.com's mm-hmm. workouts for quite a while. Yeah. And I think you got it for me for my birthday or something. I did, yeah. us up for the level one. And when we went there, it was our first real life exposure to CrossFit. We had mm-hmm. just only read about it and sort of, played around with it ourselves. So it was quite the eye-opening experience. And I feel like back in those days, there was more of that where 
people would show up and be like, I was curious to see what CrossFit is. And mm-hmm. so they do the level one. Whereas now you still get some of those people, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're like, just want to learn more about CrossFit. But for most, I would assume they're coming from an affiliate or they want to like coach or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to this place and there was, I don't know, 50 or 60 people registered in this class. Mm-hmm. There was probably six or seven Staff. instructors. Yeah. yeah, And then it was all the people you saw on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like Pat Sherwood was our flow master and yeah. Curtis Bowler was there and Nadia was the demo uh, girl. Demo girl. Yeah. John Glisson. John it? Gilson. Gilson, yeah. who now owns Again Faster, was there. Rob um, Wolf. Rob Wolf was the nutrition talk guy. Yeah, so it was like... It was a, like a dream team. A star-studded like- <laughs> cast sort of from back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was cool because they were all just like normal people, right? They're all yeah. just like people that are into working out and shooting the shit and stuff. But I would say that the biggest difference that I've noticed is the level of professionalism mm-hmm. that has changed over the, the decade and a half th- since I've done it. Back then, there was way more, you know, swearing and the occasional dick joke. And it was just like <laughs> yeah. a little bit more of a fun, like still great information, but much more like rough around, rough the, around edges. the edges. A Whereas, lot of those guys were like ex-Navy SEALs. Yeah. And there was kind of this more like macho bravado kind of vibe through the whole community. Yeah. And definitely a little bit more rough and tumble about it. And even back in those days... Glassman was a, little, a lot more, this shit works, fuck you if you think it doesn't, and yeah. like, prove me wrong, bitch. It was much more of that attitude where they were like in it to impress, and it was more about look how fit people we can make, and, and mm-hmm. it was much more of that sort of thing. Whereas now, you can tell they're like, they're definitely trying to make it more of a world-class experience and mm-hmm. uh, make it less intimidating to people, and more about the science and the information and mm-hmm. you know the beauty of CrossFit than just the CrossFit Games athletes. Yeah. I think I've probably touched on this before. The adoption of new ideas goes through three phases. False, trivial, obvious. Yeah. When something is new and sort of like groundbreaking, people will be like, well, that's false. That'll never work. So that was CrossFit back in the day, 20, 15 or 20 years ago. People yeah. were like, that's stupid. That'll never work. You can't deadlift 500 pounds and run a five-minute mile. That's not possible. It's false. So yeah, there was a lot of like antagonism to fighting the fight to be like, no, no, this stuff works. And then it evolved to the point where it was pretty obvious that CrossFit worked, but then people were like, well, that's trivial. That's stupid. Nobody's going to want to work that hard. You know, that's crazy. It's unsafe, whatever, that kind of stuff. And now it's gotten to the point where people are like, well, this is obviously how you should train. Of course. Now this is people just take for granted of course you should be doing strength and conditioning. Of course you should be doing high intensity workouts. Of course you should be incorporating body weight training and weightlifting training. Yeah. I think now people that kind of come into strength and conditioning now don't even realize how much CrossFit changed the way things are just done mm-hmm. as a standard formula now. And that 20 years ago, these things that we take as obvious now were not obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and it took a lot of fighting and, and pushing people to understand what was going on and accept it. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing with with CrossFit and Greg has said this numerous times is that he's not reinventing the wheel. He's not like inventing these things. He didn't come up with the metabolic pathways, you know, Mm -hmm. he stole the um, 10 physical skills from a different website. He just did a really good job of identifying like what people have been doing all along, Mm -hmm. putting some real like definitions to it and then making fairly complicated things sound you know, reasonable to the layman. You mm-hmm. know? So Greg was almost more like a philosopher. Yeah. Like he didn't really, he wasn't an exercise scientist. He didn't invent or discover 
anything. But like you said, he just thought logically about things and made connections and yeah. kind of filled in holes with almost like philosophical type reasoning of one of the big things in the beginning when he got into the world of fitness was he realized that no one had a definition of what fitness was. Yeah, Everyone's pursuing this thing that nobody, not even the exercise physiology textbooks, not the National Strength and Conditioning Association, nobody had a working definition of what fitness was. Yeah. And certainly not in any like measurable way. They were like, it's a state of well-being. You're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how I can measure that. Yeah. The absence of disease. Yeah. You're like, mm, that doesn't seem to be yeah. complete. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously, you know, your CrossFit methodology inside and out. Yeah. You pass the level three on the, you know, have the level four. Yeah. You've been living and breathing CrossFit for 15 years. Let's talk about what you gained or what you thought about in a new way or what was refreshed in your mind from the level one. Yeah. So in our foundations program, we basically do a very, like a sliver of a level one seminar Mm -hmm. in our day one whiteboard talk, right? Yeah. We don't talk about all of it and we certainly don't go into as much detail as you guys do on the weekend. So you get like a like 15 or 20 minute version of the, you know, level Mm -hmm. one seminar. So all of that stuff, I talk about it weekly right like every week I'm doing a foundation so I'm talking about it and I'm thinking about it and I like you know I have my like script and stuff so one of the things that I like the most about the the seminar and this also goes for when I go to a different CrossFit gym is that just hearing the same information delivered in a different way from a different person often helps you like really think about it in a new way or come up with a new cue or a new strategy to help other people understand what you're trying to say. Um, You know, you and I talk all the time, so I feel like we share a brain most of the time. (laughs) But just hearing Jason speak about a lot of the things was really good because he's been doing this for a long time. And it's just those little like cues or points where you're like, oh, that makes really good sense. And I'm going to use that moving forward. You know, I remember going to a deadlift, deadlift workout at... What was that Las Vegas work? Oh, gym? max effort yeah. in Las Vegas. The guy taught deadlifts in a certain way. And, you know, I'd been coaching CrossFit for what? Seven, 10 years at that point, probably. Year, yeah. yeah. And I changed the way I teach deadlifts because I liked his way better, mm-hmm. right? I remember going to what was is now the level four exam. And, you know, one of the guys taught the push jerk in a different way that I'd never thought of before. And I started using it and I still do to this day. So it was Chuck Carswell. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, it was Chuck. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed hearing the information that I'd already heard just from a, a different viewpoint or a different way of explaining it. That mm-hmm. was great. There's two lectures that we do on the morning of the first day. One is the first one is what is CrossFit, mm-hmm. which comes down to that constantly varied functional movement, executed high intensity, but yeah. really digging into what those three sort of buzzword things actually mean. And then the other lecture is what is fitness? Yeah. That's where we go all through kind of Greg's philosophical exploration of how could we define Mm -hmm. what fitness is. Yeah. So I don't talk about the metabolic pathways very much because that's, you know, when you start getting into all the different type of metabolic pathways, you start to lose people pretty quick unless they're like super into it. So, but we talk about like how we do intervals and we do one rep max lifts and we do like longer duration stuff. And it's like, you're sort of giving them the same information just without the specific scientific numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was, it was really good to refresh on that one because again, I, I think of it less as the metabolic pathways and more just the duration or the types of workouts Mm -hmm. that we're doing, you know? So that was a good refresher. The wellness curve, the Mm -hmm. sickness health wellness curve was, is another one that we don't cover in our, whiteboard talk so that was a good refresher and we've we've done podcasts on that one as well Mm -hmm. so there's 
four models that Greg used to try to define fitness. And each one of them was useful, but incomplete on their own. So the first one is the 10 physical skills, which is on that whiteboard. We do it in our day one foundation. We used to have them on huge banners that went all the way around the inside of Brio West (laughs) too. So when I would ask people, I would just be like, point at the wall, they're on the poster. (laughs) That, like you said, Greg stole from the people that made the Dynamax balls, Mm -hmm. the like wall balls. And they had this list of 10 desired adaptations from exercise, basically. So cardiorespiratory endurance, strength, stamina, and flexibility, speed and power. And then you have accuracy, agility, coordination, and balance. First four come through training, physical adaptations. Last four are neurological, come through practice. And the middle two, speed and power, are both. Mm -hmm. And so your capacity in all 10 represents essentially the completeness of your fitness. A deficiency in any of those 10 is going to impair your overall fitness ability. So fitness is a compromise. True fitness is a compromise, right? If you, we talk about Eddie Hall setting a one, a world record, one rep max deadlift comes at the sacrifice of he probably can't run a fast marathon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just how it is. So there's the 10 physical skills, which I, I really like to think about that and keep in mind what you suck at and make sure you're getting some work done on those things always. And in your regular Mm -hmm. rotation, then there's the metabolic pathways. Like you talked about three main systems of how your body makes energy. The phosphagen pathway takes no oxygen can create a hundred percent of your maximum power output, but only for 10 seconds. It's that like super blast of max power anaerobic glycolysis glycolytic pathway where you're burning sugar, but without oxygen. So you can make about 70% of your power Peaks at about a minute, dies by two minutes. Yep. Can't make energy without oxygen for very long. And then you have your aerobic glycolysis using oxygen to make energy, which peaks at about 40% of your max power output, but theoretically goes on forever. Mm-hmm. So your fitness represents your capacity across all three. Yeah. And I think that's, you said, you can think of it in the time zones. Max effort, 10 seconds, two minutes sprinty things, and then long duration. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to understand those systems because you know it, it it makes you realize why when you do a one rep max you mm-hmm. fail if you go for a second one right because yeah. you're putting 100 percent effort into this one lift and you've just blown out that whole energy system and so mm-hmm. it it's not going to work for you anymore after yeah. 10 seconds you can't clean and jerk your one rep max twice in a row yeah <laughs> that's why it's a one rep max or why you know 100 meter sprint is as fast as it is you know it's 10 seconds or a lot well you saying bold at the, yeah at the peak human <laughs> the performance good level people, yeah. they're like they're, they basically don't even have to breathe that whole time right yeah. like it's just maximum power output for a short amount of time it helps you realize why a 500 meter row sprint is as brutal as it is mm-hmm. because you're like you're going a super high power output and then you hit that one minute mark and then all of yeah. a sudden it starts to hit you and you just start to blow up and it's all you can do to hold on you know the time frame is at the end of your glycolytic capacity yeah anaerobic glycolysis yeah. yeah so it's it's a good way of thinking about like understanding the whys you know like mm-hmm. why can only go so hard so long and mm-hmm. you know why does it feel the way it feels when i do a one mac one minute bike sprint or a 500 meter row or whatever you know mm-hmm. it's i think too like the completeness of a fitness program or your fitness represents your capacity in all three. So if you, that phosphagen, your peak power output, like you said, that's your one rep max lifts. Yeah. So you have to have a commitment to training your one rep max or heavy lifts, max power output. When you see CrossFit programs or boot campy programs that are always doing 20 minute AMRAPs or 30 or 40 minute workouts, and they're mm-hmm. never doing heavy weight lifting, that's not good fitness. Yeah. 
if you're the, you know, sometimes you come across CrossFit gyms that love heavy barbells and maybe they'll do like a sprinty little wad or whatever, but they never run 5k or they never do a Murph or they never do a long workout. That's also not real fitness because you're not training the aerobic pathway. Yeah. So there's deficiencies and problems. If you skip, you just can't skip one. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. For sure. And because the glycolytic pathway has a foot in both the phosphagen and the aerobic pathways, that's why CrossFit spends the majority of our time in that high intensity sprinty kind of thing. Yeah. Even if we're doing a, you know, seven or 10 minute workout, you're not, let's be honest, <laughs> working straight across that whole time, yeah. right? You're doing a set of 21 thrusters and then you're taking a little break as you stumble over to the rower and then you hit a rower for a minute or two and then you stumble over to do some burp. You know, there's always yeah. this like work and recover and work and recover thing happening. And, they, you know, we talk a little bit about using movement patterns that complement each other, right? Like yeah. That's why Fran is so particularly devastating is you go from a squat and push movement. And then when you're done that set, you're technically resting those muscles mm -hmm. as you're doing your pulling movements, right? Opposite muscle groups. So even though you're not really resting, you know, from a like hormonal or <laughs> <laughs> cardiovascular perspective. perspective, your your muscles themselves are recharging a little bit within. Yeah. But then you finish that whole workout and you're just on the floor in a yeah. puddle of person because you've just, you've, you were firing at all cylinders. It was like maximum power output and you just did all the things. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not even just like a lot of people are like, Oh, CrossFit's only ever aerobics. And it's like a lot of the workouts are for sure, but some of them, you know, you'll do whatever. And then you'll, you can throw a super heavy, like a Holly man, right. You can mm -hmm. do the, five wall balls, three handstand pushups, and then a very heavy clean in there. It's not that like 225 for me is currently, I don't know, 90% or something like that, you know, but I can still hit all 30 of those and be under 30 minutes in that workout. So mm -hmm. it's like you are having little bits of in intensity within the longer duration stuff, but yeah. you know, that's the beauty of CrossFit is it kind of like gets all of your metabolic pathways firing at different times and mm -hmm. doing all the things and, and yeah. Yeah. So we have the 10 physical skills, we have the metabolic pathways, then we have the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. So like a half circle yeah. sickness, you know, and you can pick whatever you want to measure those things. You can pick doctor numbers, right? Blood pressure and triglycerides and HbA1c and percentage of body fat or whatever. Pick any way you want to measure those things. There's numbers that are well ordered on this continuum. Yeah. Numbers that are definitely sick. If your resting heart rate is a hundred, something is wrong. Yeah. If your resting heart rate is 60 or 70, your doctor's, eh, you're fine. And if your resting heart rate is 40 or 50, your doctor's, hey, nice job. Like, you're fit. You're yeah. an athlete, you know? And so fitness is a state of super wellness or super health, and it's a hedge against sickness. And we always talk about how to, if you live your life at fitness, you have to pass back through wellness before you could ever get to sickness. You yeah. would have to get well before you could get sick. Yeah. Which is... The example I always use was me when I was pregnant with Dash. So normally I have super low blood pressure, really chill, really healthy. I'm like a 100 over 50, 90 over 50 kind of person. I remember going for my checkup at about five months and I was 120 over 80. And my doctor's yeah, normal. And I was like, ooh, that's high for yeah. me. And then I ended up having wildly out of control blood pressure towards the end and they had to take him out early. So, But there was a point in time where I got well mm -hmm. before I got sick. Yeah. And my doctor was like, oh, you're fine. And I was like, mm, that's a change. That's different for me. I'm on the <laughs> path. I'm going the wrong direction on this path here. Yeah. So pushing all of our numbers 
towards fitness is the goal. And then it's a hedge yeah. against sickness. Yeah. And, and then, then the hopper model, the hopper model, which is funny that we're talking about this because we just did our Easter egg workout yeah. recently. Very punny hopper. hopper. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so in that you pick an egg and whatever is in the egg is what you do. And you know, the hopper model itself is a little bit more evolved than that because in our basket of eggs, it's all CrossFit stuff. Mm -hmm. But the whole goal with the hopper thing is like you could reach your hand into a bucket of tasks and pick it out and whatever is in there, like you're able to do it. And mm -hmm. whoever can do the majority of the tasks the best overall is the fittest. Mm -hmm. So in the CrossFit games, it's definitely evolved into be much more specific to like CrossFit and exercise itself. Mm -hmm. But you could throw, you know, rake the lawn in there and <laughs> shingle a roof and like all those types of things where it's like just has to be a measurable task has to be a measurable task yeah, yeah. so any any real functional thing mm -hmm. could be in there which is kind of an extension of the 10 physical skills right so yeah. whoever is the fittest will perform the best on average across the broadest number of seemingly random tasks the hopper was how they programmed the original the first crossfit games in 2007 they kind of did a real life example of this so they had ping pong balls and they wrote measurable tasks on them and they threw them in. It was like this big drum, like a peanut hopper, like a peanut roaster thing that's still apparently in the corner at Dave Castro's family's ranch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Welded a handle on the side and turned this big thing and pulled out. And that's how they made the workouts was yeah. they found out live <laughs> on site and they were randomly decided by the universe. Yeah. That's the fittest was the person who performed the best on average across all those things. Yeah. So you've got your four ways of defining fitness. And then each of those is incomplete, right? Each of those has important parts that can help define fitness, but doesn't give us the whole picture. Yeah. The whole picture is that fitness defined is work capacity across broad time and modal domains, mm -hmm. which has little pieces of each of those things. Yeah. So you can graph if we took your beyond the whiteboard log, everything you have in there, your one rep max, back squat, clean and jerk, bench press, strict press, deadlift, all those things that'd be on your high power output end. And then all of your Fran, Grace, Helen, Elizabeth, Karen, middle, and then your long ones, your 5k, your 10k, your half marathon row, your Murph, and you yeah. it would get a curve. Yeah. So broad time, short time, long time, modal domains. That's all the different things that you're doing. You make this curve. And then this is just simple calculus. Yeah. The area under the curve represents your fitness. Right your work capacity across broad time and modal domains, which I think is now quite an obvious thing. But at the time when Greg defined fitness that way, that was very groundbreaking. Yeah. And very hard to argue with yeah. because now it's not some opinion. It's not how you feel. It's not a state of well-being or an absence of disease or some nonsense thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's your work capacity. It's what you can do Yeah, across a broad variety of tasks and times. Yeah. I think that's so much more relevant than, oh, well, what's your VO2 max and what's your yeah. whatever, you know? And, and it's funny because it's come a long way now. Most people, instead of disagreeing with Greg and thinking he's wrong, they just try to say the same thing with different words <laughs> and act like they came up with it, you know? And again, it's not that like Greg invented a lot of these things. No. It's just that he did a really good job of explaining them and making them, mm -hmm. you know, approachable. But now there's so many like fitness guys out there. They're like, oh, well, you know, turns out yeah, it's not just like you need to do a five by five to get strong. It's like you can get stronger doing 15s and you can get stronger doing twos and you can get stronger doing all these things. And mm -hmm. what is strength anyways? And they're finally starting to come around. And 
of course, nobody likes to admit when they're wrong. And so they just act like they've known it all the time, the whole mm-hmm. time. And it was their idea in the beginning. Like I was listening to Andy Galpin on Huberman lab the other day. And he's talking about the nine adaptations to fitness. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Andy, you had to make it nine instead of 10 or yeah. whatever. And you call it like, and he was acting and presenting it as if he had come up with this list. Or the science community. Okay. That's fine. And, but even Greg didn't come up with that list of 10. Nope. And we openly talk about how he stole it from the Dynamax guys. Yeah. Right? And it's like the, the nine things that Annie came up with are slightly different than the 10, but it's like, he'll take two things and put them together yeah. and then he'll have one other thing or it's, well, that also could be defined as that. And it's like, you're basically saying the same thing, yeah. you know, it's all the same. But everyone wants to pretend like they invented For sure. it. Yeah. yeah. I think like any good scientist, the truly gifted ones are able to connect the dots. Yeah. They're not necessarily the lab bench scientists doing the, the nitty gritty, really specific molecular work, mm-hmm. but they're the ones that have this really good ability to step back and see the bigger picture and connect the dots between different areas and different disciplines and stuff. And they, they create like a a theory in science is something that's been elevated to a certain level and it connects multiple disciplines. Yeah. So I think, like I said, Greg wasn't, you know, discovering or inventing anything. He just was really good at connecting the dots between Mm -hmm. things that were already out there and just no one had defined. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, they've always been very open to, evolve and grow and incorporate other things mm-hmm. as they come, a, a, a come to be, you know, yeah. his definition of health came after, you know, like years after his, his definition of fitness, Yeah, his definition of health is that same like curve of your fitness, fitness over the years of your life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like you can just be a high school football player and be super fit. And that just carries you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually you end up being one of those like 40 or 50 year old guys with a big beer belly talking about how good he used to be. <laughs> it's, well, that's t- irrelevant, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. So it's basically, you have to get as much fitness as you can early on and then like t- slowly let it lower as you get old, you mm-hmm. know? I think, so yeah, the, the 3D model of health, they call it. So if you can picture that curve, that you have that's a snapshot of your fitness and time. You could take that same curve at age 20 and 30 and mm-hmm. 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, like across the years of your life. Yeah. And then if you picture it sort of like a curtain hanging from the corner of a room and the 3D area under the curtain yeah. is your health yeah. across the years of your life. And so just like you said, if you bump it up really high when you're young and then it falls right down because you get burnt out or injured or you just don't train anymore, that's not good health because mm. there's not a lot of area under that curve. If you can build it up pretty well in your sort of twenties, thirties, peak fitness is forties. It starts to decline pretty (laughs) reliably every decade after that. But if you keep it consistent and then you have the Peter Atia quote is the gravity of aging is much stronger than you think. So the height of your glider needs to be higher at the start Mm -hmm. than you think at the start of aging. So then, you know, that takes out any argument over what is health. Health is your work capacity. Can you do stuff? Yeah. Health is not your triglycerides. Health mm-hmm. is not your blood pressure. Why are those things correlates of poor health? Because they're going to impair your ability to do tasks, yeah. <laughs> to, to live life. Especially when all of those numbers have a healthy range and it's it can be a huge range that's yeah. still within the healthy thing. But it's, well, if one person, like when you were pregnant and as if you're used to being at the very bottom of that range and then all of a sudden you're at the like the middle or the high end of that range like that's significant that's something you used to pay attention to yeah so if all you're relying on is numbers it's well there's 
there's so much variance there and each person is going to be a little bit different and like how do you really accurately tell until it's already too late you're already problematic Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that it's funny because like there's there's all different types of people, right? There's Matt Frazier isn't a young 20-year-old where he peaked at 20. Like, he probably peaked at 30, and he's still, like, very fit and will continue yeah. to be very fit. But, like, mine is more of a, like, circus tent kind of shape <laughs> where it's like, I was not very fit in my 20s, no, and then yeah. I got fitter as I got into my 40s, and, like, eventually in my 50s and 60s, I'm sure it'll start to dissipate. But mm-hmm. his is going to be much more of a steep, you know, steep and steady incline and then decline yeah his was very very high his was very high yes but it's just not maintainable right like you can't you can't stay there no you can't maintain a super high level of fitness Mm -hmm. for 20 years that's just impossible i think too if you think of health as your work capacity across broad time and modal domains across all the years of your life then that helps you understand why if you try to like artificially bump something up or sort of cheat or push beyond your like natural physiologic capacity so you know people that diet excessively or Mm -hmm. they use lucky charms to fuel their crossfit workouts because it increases performance in this minute or they take steroids or they you know abuse pre-workout and stimulants or take your pick of things that are can bump your fitness up in this in a very short period of time or even just if you train with poor technique and you run the risk of being injured or you train too much and so you run the risk of like metabolic you know, stress hormone burnout and like anything that's going to impair your ability to train over the course of your life is not a health promoting decision. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you want to eat lucky charms to fuel that workout in that event, fine. But you know that that's not a long-term health decision. Yeah. That's that not performance. That's a yeah. short-term performance decision. Yeah. And if your priority is long-term performance to be able to do tasks across all the years of your life, you would not do that yeah. now. But if your priority is I need to win this event now, then maybe you make some sacrificing decisions like that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, this isn't a judgment thing. This is just no. a informed consent thing. Well, it's, I, <laughs> Athletes take risks all the time. That's for sure. There's, they did some study thing. I think we've talked about this before with Olympic athletes and said, if you could guarantee yourself a gold medal, but you would die in your forties, would you take that? And like most of them said yes. Yeah. And I think it's just the naivety of youth. You know, it's like when you're 20 and you've been training your whole life for the thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. that's been your whole life. You know nothing but that. And, and you don't even consider like when you're 40 and you have like young kids and you have this whole like life ahead of you, yeah, you, like that doesn't even exist to you yet. So it's easy to give up something that you don't even know exists for like what's happening in the now, mm-hmm. right? And you feel invincible. For sure. That's not going to happen to me. Well, yeah. But it's like I, I had those eye-opening years where I remember thinking 30 my mom was 33 and being like, holy shit, are you old? Like <laughs> one foot in the grave, mom, like what's going on? And then I got to be 33 and I'm like, I feel the same now as I did in my twenties. Yeah. And now I'm 44, almost 45. And again, I'm like, yeah, my bones hurt a little bit more, but I feel pretty much the same as I did yeah. earlier. So you are, I, I'm not going to say for everybody, but for the, for the masses play the long game, you know, mm-hmm. like consider your future and it can be so much better than you think by putting in the right kind of work early on and and just play the long game it's like retirement planning right i always use that analogy certainly it's better if you start earlier but it's also never too late for sure but understanding if you start saving for retirement at age 50 (laughs) your outcomes are going to be different than had you started that at 20 yeah it's never too late to start and make things better than they would be if you did nothing at all yeah 
Okay, let's take a, we're going to take a pause from the theoretical talks. We're going to talk about the movement stuff. Okay. And then I want to come back to nutrition afterwards. Okay. Not that well, you like, I, not, I, no, I would hate that. I know you hate talking about nutrition, talk about nutrition, but if we can squeeze it in, that'd be great. <laughs> so yeah, we do a lot of the theoretical talks and then we like get up and we move and mm-hmm. we, we go through the movements and it's, it's a funny thing because people, they did way more of this way back in the, in the, in the day where they would pull somebody into the circle and they would like really nitpick a lot of the details. You guys still did that, but it was less of that than I remember. And it was funny because people are always like, oh, when they get pulled into the mm-hmm. circle, and it's like, what are you talking about? You, people will pay like a hundred dollars an hour for a personal trainer to yep. do it. Well, hopefully do exactly that. We call it an active classroom. Yeah. Someone gets. Yeah. And so I think it's just, it's great to get one-on-one time with a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't really nitpicked that much. So it was reassuring that I guess that I'm moving pretty well, but it was, it's just, again, it's super interesting, even though it wasn't my movement, it was other people's movements. And I could, with my eye, I could see like what the fault was and like how you would correct it or how Jason would correct it or whatever. So it's, it's nice to get those different cues and different ways of looking at things. Mm -hmm. But then even just seeing the like subtle variances between this is a good movement, but what can we do to, to make it better? Mm -hmm. Don't let good get in the way of great. Yeah. So yeah, the movement breakout sessions were good. It's pretty basic movements, right? Mm -hmm. Air squat, front squat, overhead squat, and then press, push, press, push jerk, and then deadlift, sumo deadlift, high ball, med ball clean. Yeah. And then you guys also cover like in a different style of breakout, kipping pull-ups, snatches, muscle-ups, mm-hmm. GHD sit-ups. So yeah, there's definitely a good amount of coverage of the, the movements that happen. Mm-hmm. That's been the same since we originally did it. Yeah, the nine foundational movements have not changed. Yeah, in all nor, these years. nor have the other ones that were covered in the session. Yeah. I remember them doing all those same ones. You know, I look at it as the nine foundational ones are kind of like the basics of all the things, you know, mm-hmm. and then we don't necessarily cover all of those movements within our foundations. We cover the ones that we use more frequently. And then there's certain movements that we don't cover in our foundations that it's kind of like we teach you when you're ready, right? Like a handstand push up. I'm not going to teach handstand <laughs> push up on day three. You know, hey, like welcome to CrossFit. Time yeah. to do a handstand. Okay. I hope you don't like your neck. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think it's it's a good mixture of the movements to strive for and like work towards and then the movements that you should really like dial in and yeah. put the practice in. I always start my breakout groups with a quote and I think it's Greg also. Just when you feel like you've mastered the basics, it's time to go back to the beginning, this time paying closer attention. Yeah. And that's what the level one is. And often, like you said, now we have people with quite a, a high level of CrossFit experience. You know, you ask them, they're like, oh, I've been doing CrossFit for seven years or nine years or 10 years. But you're like, when do you ever take a whole hour to just break down an air squat, Yeah, a front squat with a PVC, and an overhead squat with a PVC? Never, right? Yeah. So it's this chance to go back to the basics, this time paying closer attention. Sure. And we do dig into the little details of, hey, we could make this good movement a little better. Push your knees out a little more. Shift your hips back a little more. Press up into the a little more. Lift those elbows, you know? Yeah. I rarely meet anybody that has 100% perfection of their movement and can't possibly be improved in any way. So, and people get feedback on their own movement. And then at the level one, we're starting to plant the seeds of coaching. Right. So we also use the opportunity to learn from each other and just see a fault happening live and then see how it can get corrected. And then sometimes we'll, like you said, pull a person into the middle in an active classroom and just show a fault that's happening in real time and some verbal or tactile or visual cues we can use to try to improve yeah. the movement. So we try to 
start filling the tool belt of, you know, a coach's tools they have to go to, to help make people better. Right. Yeah. I think it's a good reminder that, yeah, like you said, a, nobody ever masters these movements or very few people do. So you can always kind of like readjust or revisit or improve. Mm -hmm. But then it's also a good reminder that you don't need weight for something to be challenging (laughs) because (laughs) you like holding positions with a PVC and rep after rep after rep, like it really is challenging, you know? So it's a good reminder that it doesn't have to be heavy to be hard. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's better just to take the weight off or use no weight at all or an empty barbell or a PVC or whatever and just like work on positioning Mm -hmm. and, you know, put the time in. People always come back for day two because we've done the squat breakout group and all the overhead stuff with just a PVC. And the next day they're like, I'm sore. And like, oh my God, because they're, like you said, with no load, it's still hard if you're really striving to hold the very best position you can yeah. and doing like a fair number of reps with those things. It It's hard work. Yeah. And it's focused, concentrated, good mechanical learning yeah. for sure. And we do do a workout on both days. When we first did our level one, it was different. We did Fran. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if it was the same day, but I remember doing bottom to bottom to bottom squats <laughs> as well. I'm pretty sure they were too. both on day one. But it was the end of the day for Fran. And I was so glad that it was the end of the day because I was fucked after that. (laughs) (laughs) I had done Fran before, but we had only ever done CrossFit on our own. Mm -hmm. And so I thought you could take the barbell from a rack. And so I had my metal 25s on at the field house and I would do a set of five thrusters and then put it in the rack and take a break and then do it again. (laughs) And and then I- Seven minutes later. (laughs) Well, and, and I had, you know, I had figured out butterfly pull up so I could do that and so when Pat Sherwood was like have you done RX Fran before I'm like yep he's okay what was your time and I thought it was like five or six minutes or something and he's oh that's pretty good yeah let's try it and so we had the the 25s on there and then we you know three two one go this is the first time I'd ever had anybody watch my movements and judge me or anything and I remember that John guy just no repping so many of my thrusters <laughs> and I was doing a set. It was my set of 21 or my 15 or something. And I thought I was like two left and I'm like, how many? Eight more. I'm fuck, what? <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure I did at least 60 something thrusters in that workout. And then it got so bad that Pat came by and took my weights off. He's like, we're running behind. Let's just finish it up with the empty bar. And I was just like done for the yeah. rest of the night. Like, oh. wrecked. So we did not do Fran this time, which was a relief, mm-hmm. but the workout was still very much the same kind of stimulus. It was thrusters and burpees, mm-hmm. light enough weight to go fast and not a ton of volume. So you could really just push the pedal. Yeah. Because they still want that taste of intensity. Yeah. They took Fran out because people were like ripping their hands and falling off the pull-up bar. And it was just like mm-hmm. chaos, you know? Yeah. You needed a bit more skill to be able to properly execute a Fran. Yeah. You can't count on everybody to level one having for sure. Yeah. Pull-up's a hard one to like, Fran is a hard one to get the right stimulus on for somebody that struggles with pull-ups, you yeah. know, like ring rows just aren't the same and mm-hmm. jumping pull-ups. It's like, yeah, like it's kind of there, but not really, you know? So mm-hmm. it's a tough one to scale for all levels for sure. Yeah. So we'll find, like you mentioned, there's people that will take the course for their own interest. They have no intention of ever coaching, Yeah. which I've said before, and you'll hear on other podcasts, I know Savan on his podcast continuously, everyone who does CrossFit needs to take a level one at some point. If you really want to understand what you're doing or why CrossFit is the way it is or what, how to get the most out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a worthwhile investment. Then of course there's people that want to coach. Yeah. And then every once in a while we'll have people that have never done CrossFit before. And lately we've had 
quite a number of phys ed teachers that are people that have never done CrossFit before, but they're, you know, high school will get one lady was like, my high school just got all this rogue equipment and I figured I better know what to do with it. And she'd never done CrossFit before. There was in Toronto last time, there was a group of eight of them that I think had like a, a program, a grant to start like a fitness program within their high school. And so they were, I think maybe one of them was really into CrossFit, but the other seven had never done it before. So you do have people that are for one reason or another, yeah, using the level one as the kind of their first exposure to CrossFit, yeah. which I think is super cool. Yeah, that's great. The first time we ever set foot in a CrossFit affiliate, the first time we ever did CrossFit with other people was at our level one. So yeah. I always feel a special bond to those people. And so many of those people that were there that weekend, it was like, they just wanted to check out what CrossFit was, yeah. you know, like many of them. So yeah, it's definitely changed over the years, but it's a great experience for sure. It's, it's well worth checking out and it's, it's not a cheap thing, but I think like it's worth it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like going for a fine dining meal. It's like, it's way more expensive than a lot of other options out there, but it's going to be a much better experience than just going and doing a one hour online, whatever thing. And yeah. you know, it, there's just so much more to it. And I don't think you truly, it's not the type of thing you can just do on your own. Right. It's no, like you have to go and experience it through other people. Cause there's no, everybody on the level one staff is like a cool person, you know, and they're just Thanks. fun. To, and they're just fun to spend the, I mean, I, I spend all my time with you, but they're just fun to hang out they're, with. They're, they're, it's a very cool yeah. group of people. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell why it's so hard to to get that job because they're looking for the cream of the crop, right? So, yeah, it's really good. I feel super lucky and privileged and full of imposter syndrome <laughs> that I get to hang out with these super cool people. I must have tricked them into hiring <laughs> me, you know, because <laughs> like they're all like really, they're just personality-wise are very cool people. They're all like very fit and very into CrossFit, but also like highly intelligent and yeah. can just take this stuff and just speak about it and everything. So yeah, yeah, it is, it's a, it's a, certainly a privilege to be involved in that group of the red shirts. Yeah, for sure. The red shirt sounds like such a, that's such a funny name. Yeah. It just sounds, I don't know, weird. That's like literally in our internal documents, how they refer to the seminar stuff as red shirts. It sounds like some sort of like task force or something, you know, I guess it kind of is, but when we switched from Reebok to Noble being our apparel provider, it was like a big deal to wait for Noble to come up with a red where we could have new seminar stuff uniforms. They had to make red. (laughs) Nobles. We don't do red. They didn't do red. That was the problem. And so we had to wait a long time. Yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. Let's finish up with nutrition. Okay. My favorite. And you did that lecture. So yeah. You're happy to be doing it. As you progress through the different tasks on the seminar staff, you get given different lectures to deliver and then you're under evaluation. So mm-hmm. it was just recently this year, I guess, 2023, given the nutrition lecture, yeah. which I've been holding out for this whole time and they all know that. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the like main, you know, the the charter of safety, I guess. I'm mm-hmm. t- like, I always remember the things and then I forget what the like title of it is, but now, okay. So charter the for charter safety, for right? safety is mechanics, consistency, intensity, right? Yeah. And that is the best way to keep yourself safe in CrossFit. You yeah. want to learn proper mechanics, right? And then be able to do them consistently, like no matter how tired you are or like, you know, day to day or weight to weight or whatever. And then once you have those two, then you can start to apply intensity. So with that in the back of our minds, you know, we started talking about nutrition and the, in the like fitness in a hundred words, it's eat meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, right? So it's all basically about the type of food, mm-hmm. right? 
as you, yeah, the quality of food. And then there's a little bit of like specifics as you get towards the not as good for you stuff, but like meats and vegetables, there's no measure of any type of volume, right? Mm -hmm. It's just eat those things. So what I really liked that I had never really thought of as clearly as before was that the quality of your food is the mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the foundation of what nutrition should be about, right? And then when you start getting into the intensity, you want to like really get precise and stuff. That's when you start getting into measuring and weighing and being specific with your quantities of food. And you made a really good point that weighing and measuring your gummy bears and your Cheetos is like doing high intensity with shitty form. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... That's deadlifting with a rounded back. Yeah. That's doing kipping pull-ups before you can do a strict pull-up. Yeah. It's just... Nonsense. Putting the cart before the horse and what's the point really, you know, like you're not getting any kind of nutritional value from those things, but you're putting all this time and effort into weighing and measuring, you know, it's misapplied effort. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really a really good way of thinking about it and how interconnected nutrition is to the movements and exercise itself. When, Mm -hmm. when talking about health and fitness and losing weight and gaining weight and all those things, Mm -hmm. we often just say, Oh, nutrition is 80% of the game, but you know, there's more to it than just, I eat pretty good, you know? Yeah. So I really enjoyed that part. I obviously love talking about nutrition. Yeah. I And I start that lecture by saying it's my favorite because it is. But I think it's my favorite in that weekend because of all of the things that we teach people, if people take what's in that hour and go home and put it into practice, it's the thing that will make the biggest difference yeah. in everything else, in all areas your mental health, your body composition, your sleep, your recovery, your performance in the gym, of course. But if you change your nutrition, that's the biggest lever that you can pull. And I think a lot of people are putting a lot of time and effort into their fitness and their training, and they're very dedicated to that, but then they're not very dedicated to their nutrition. They're still hitting the drive-thru and eating candy and drinking too much beer. And, you know, they're kind of like playing damage control they're like oh it's okay because i work out yeah you know? therefore i can still eat like an asshole but yeah and i think everybody goes through their phases like depending on when you find crossfit or when you start your like fitness journey or whatever like, i remember forever ago like when opt when james fitzgerald was still on the scene and we were doing a sectionals and i overheard him talking to some guy and the guy was like oh man he's like, you're so great he's like, you're such an inspiration he's like, what do i need to do to get fitter with crossfit and the first question question James asked this kid was like, how's your nutrition? He's like, oh, I don't know. And wasn't really like paying attention to it. And James basically said, if you don't have that, he's you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's everything. You need to get the food dialed in. And this was like 13, 14 years ago, right? 2010. I yeah. was enormously pregnant with Atlas. That's yeah. what I remember at that sectional. Yeah. yeah. And so even back then, I remember hearing that. And, you know, like we've gone through all kinds of different phases of what we eat and how we eat and whatever. But it is it really hasn't been until the last few years that I've really learned to accept how important like consistent mm-hmm. nutrition is. It's one thing to, you know, two or three days a week you kind of have some garbage. That's not a consistent nutrition plan, yeah. you know, like it really needs to be more consistent the older you get. So when you're yeah. young, you have more margin for error and you can still get away with it. But the older you get the less cheat days you can have and the less you can get away with the junk and, you know, alcohol is going to be worse for you and all the garbage is going to hit, hit harder or have a greater impact. But they've been talking about it since day one, you know? Yeah. And that, I feel like in the early days of CrossFit, nutrition was a huge part of the discussion. It was always at the forefront. I fully remember at our level one, 
Rob Wolf delivering the nutrition lecture. And I remember so vividly him writing hyperinsulinemia on the mm-hmm. board and drawing this big circle around it and then linking it to all these chronic diseases, you know, Alzheimer's, blood lipids, cardiovascular disease, stroke, diabetes, PCOS, like all of these things. And, you know, the way he phrased it where he was like, we used to put obesity at the center of all these things because obesity tends to occur first. Right. But he's the, what the underlying causal mechanism here is hyperinsulinemia, too much insulin in the blood. He's just because the first symptom to appear happens to be obesity doesn't mean that it's causal, right? That was the logical fallacy mistake that people made for years and years, which is why you can be thin but sick and you can be obese but not yet have other symptoms. It's just one of many symptoms, so it doesn't have to be causal. And yeah, just like the way he phrased things and tied it all together with how nutrition and performance and health and everything overlaps, that really was like a pivotal changing the way I viewed the world and viewed the importance of nutrition. So yeah. thanks Rob. Yeah. <laughs> He's still very involved in the world of nutrition and yeah. everything too. I think that the coolest thing about it is CrossFit is like about the whole seminar in, in general is CrossFit is very open to learning and changing and evolving and making things better as they go. But when you like take a step back and look at the like pure information that they're talking about it was the exact same thing 15 years ago as it is now yeah you know the, Not much the, the information is still the same which means he was on to something and like he knows yeah. what he's talking about like the way they talk about it is a little bit different and you know they've kind of like refined the definitions a little bit more here and there and they have some better examples and they have like more of a focus on the average person instead of just the crossfit games athlete or whatever but the like fundamental information about crossfit hasn't changed so mm-hmm. It's definitely like great information and it's worth checking out. What I think is interesting about CrossFit or, you know, my little slice of the world with CrossFit is I feel like in some ways I'm like a super biased person, right? Mm -hmm. Especially my nutrition, my opinions on nutrition, but also I'm the least biased person on earth. I have no ties to an institution where I have to grovel for grant money. I have no ties to the processed food industry. I have no funding. I have no sponsorships. I'm not attached to anything other than results. Yeah. Which is why I know full well what gets results. <laughs> and I will not mince words and I will not lie to you and blow smoke up your butt and go, yeah, you can be healthy on a vegan diet. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you can't. You just can't. This is false. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a human diet. Yeah. And because we, we have a definition of fitness and we have a definition of health being work capacity across all the years of your life, mm-hmm. then it's easy to know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Right. I know what works in the short term, but it's detrimental to your long-term health. I've seen it happen over and over with people that have tried different things. I also, after 15 years of hanging out with fit people know very well what works over the long term and what creates long-term health. Mm-hmm. Right. So in some ways, yes, I'm super biased, but then in other ways also I'm the least biased person ever Yeah. other than two results. Yeah. And CrossFit is like that too. CrossFit doesn't like if something new comes out, CrossFit doesn't just sit back and throw stones at it and call it stupid. CrossFit goes, hey, does that increase work capacity across broad time and modal domains? Oh, it does. Yoink, steal it. We're putting it in the program. Yeah. So like assault bikes. Yeah. (laughs) When we started, those weren't in CrossFit. No. But they were common in like boxing gyms and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were like, hey, that seems to be really good at making people fit. Yoink. Now you see assault bikes and echo bikes in every CrossFit gym. Kettlebells, stealing it. Olympic weightlifting, stealing it. Gymnastics, stealing it. Yeah. Right? It's like we're only biased to what works. Yeah. And in the early days when Greg was still kind of like trying to prove 
that he was producing the best athletes, mm-hmm. people would call him out and be like, CrossFit's stupid. It doesn't make people fit. And he would be like, prove us wrong. Yep. Come and show us. He's like, we've defined what fitness is. Mm-hmm. Come and show us that you can do it better than us. And if you can, we'll do what you're doing. Yeah. You know, we'll switch. And I think the same thing can be said for health. You know, it's if you can define health better than what we've come up with, then great, show us. But nobody can, right? Mm-hmm. That's the big difference is that so much of the, you know, medical institution and the pharma pharmacy or the, the big pharma and stuff it's like they just come up with these ridiculous things that don't actually mean anything mm-hmm. and make that the emphasis of so much of what they do you know it's that none of that's working you yeah. know so i think the big thing is crossfit is very much like this is how it is if you can come up with something better bring it show us yeah we'll and do we it will too happily bow down yeah we will do it as well <laughs> But in the meantime, this is the thing. Yeah. And it's, they call the CrossFit Games the proving grounds. Yeah. And now there are lots of different ways to train for CrossFit and ways to train for the sport of CrossFit. And the whole point of the games is the proving grounds of yeah. who's got the best training methodology or training application or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A few years ago, there was that Spartan racer guy that was just chirping <laughs> yeah. CrossFit nonstop. And he had people chirping on his behalf yeah. too. Yeah, and so he's sitting on the sideline throwing stones yeah. and they were like, okay, come to the CrossFit Games. And guess what happened? He got crushed and eliminated on the first day. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, there's the end of that. Haven't heard chirping from that dude in a long time now because we didn't have to argue. We didn't have to argue. You just come and do some tests of your physical capacity and turns out it's not as good as these other people. And that's yeah. the end of it. That's the end. Right? These are and, just facts. And it's funny because I remember after that happened, he was like, well, you know, a lot of the stuff we had to do is very specialized. It's, but it's not that that stuff is a secret. It's readily available yeah. any, anywhere you want to go. Yes, you will fail at the margins of your experience. If you're not an experienced weightlifter and you try to go into a CrossFit competition, you're going to get owned. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't start to weightlift, right? Yeah. And we never heard from him ever again. He never came back. <laughs> three or four years later being like, okay, I put some time in on the weightlifting. I'm way fitter now. I'm ready to re- retry. Mm-hmm. We just never heard from him again because he got owned and he got humbled and he ran away with his tail between his legs, you know? And I think if we define fitness as your work capacity across broad time and modal mm-hmm. domains, different types of things, you can't be like, oh, well, I didn't win because I'm not a good swimmer. Yeah. Well, then you're not very, you're not the fittest on yeah. earth. Oh, I didn't win because I'm not very good at lifting a heavy object from the ground to overhead because I don't have good technique. Well, then, then you're, you're not, not the, the fittest, fit. <laughs> you know? Yes, there are technique, like proper technique and mechanics involved in being good at these things. But yeah. if you're not good at them, you're not the fittest. Yeah. You know? And again, until somebody comes up with a better definition of what fitness is, like this is the one we're going to use, you know, and yeah. this is the one we're going to practice and train for. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's no limit to the types of things and pieces of equipment and ways of testing all of the different 10 physical skills and the, the four, the three energy pathways and, yeah. you know, the hopper model and the different combos and, you know, ways that we can combine the test to yeah. get the broadest sample that we can. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it was, it's worth taking. I definitely recommend it to people, even if they have no desire to coach. I also recommend when you're traveling or stuff, go to other CrossFit gyms, yes. good or bad. It'll be like an eye-opening experience, right? You'll either learn something new and you'll be like, that was great. I love that. Or you'll come out and be like, oh, okay. Because there's all different <laughs> variations of the levels of, Or people know. come back and they're like, we have a really good thing going here. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Gives you a little more appreciation for what you got at home. Maybe. Yeah. Or 
if they used a cue or did something great, yeah. tell me. And I love every good idea we have at For Brio. Sure. I pretty much stole from another affiliate owner. So. Yeah. I think it's just, you. it's important to remember that you can learn something from anybody. Yes. Might be something bad that you never want to do. Might be something great that you want to do for the rest of your life, but you can learn something from anybody. And so much of being alive is just experiencing things. And the level one seminar is a great thing to, thing to experience one way or another. Yeah. And I'm not even getting paid to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Jocelyn's handing me money under the table. <laughs> yeah. If you want to live here, you better say nice <laughs> things about the level one. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't sure, yeah. all in on the value of it and didn't find it super fulfilling to teach the next generation of coaches and be involved in the future of CrossFit in that way. I think it's like super meaningful and it's a very fulfilling thing for me to be able to be a part of for sure. Yeah. And because I think of how pivotal my level one in 2008 was for me and for you. Yeah. I think what a, what an amazing thing to be a part of that for another person now. So like you mature 15 years into mm -hmm. a career of doing this. And now what I gained from other people that were really good at it back then, now I get to give that forward into yeah. the future. And I think that's super amazing. Super cool. It's like a way less time consuming version of a doctor going back to medical, medical school to like, you know, see what's changed and whatever. <laughs> so I'm not going to go spend four years back in school again. How but about two days on a yeah, weekend, two days yeah. on a weekend sum it all up good to go yeah and like i've i don't know sat through oh yeah 30 or 40 seminars now over the last few years that i've been working yeah i get something new out of it every time yeah i think about it a little different or you know all these amazing people that i get to work with i'll hear the lecture delivered but by a different person or in a different way or someone asks a question in the audience that makes us think and i'm like mm -hmm. hmm, never thought about that way yeah i every time i go through it i gain something out of it for sure cool yeah cool so next time it's worth doing. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.